The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. question what's your opinion on self-disclosure in a work environment that's a real loaded question i just talked to a guy who had had a very successful job i think i'll leave out what the job is very successful somewhat technical job had been with him for five years very successfully disclosed got ostracized and ended up leaving and this just happened wow this is now that's disheartening. And I recommended this guy because I saw uh, that did not disclose. Uh, actually, in my own career, I never disclosed. I would really? tell them, say, no, never did. Uh, if, if they know about the movie, fine. If they don't, and really? I really, nope, I never disclosed. And when I started out in the early 70s, being a woman was a much bigger barrier than autism ever was in the cattle industry in the 70s. And I would just say things like, I'm terrible at multitasking. Okay, that's disclosing something. That's something very specific. Or I need a pilot's checklist to know how to operate this machine. That kind of stuff I would disclose. And I said, you know, I've got to make myself a pilot's checklist of the steps because I've got rotten working memory. That kind of stuff I'll disclose. Very sad case, very competent guy, really mild end of the autism spectrum. Um, wow. And he lost his job. And this wow. was right now. Wow. Within the last that, month, I talked. That is so disappointing. But it's so basically disappointing. So what can I say to this guy? Yeah. And he's one where he doesn't need to disclose. Right. You right. see, now you've got more, you know, ones that you have to. But, uh, but even in my own stuff, I mean, I'm sitting on an airplane with somebody I don't disclose. Yeah. If they know about the movie, fine. I talk about it. Right. But even so before the movie, so when you went to work at your college, you didn't disclose to them, you didn't well, tell the them? Well, the college knew, okay. but they, um, uh, they knew. But you take my regular clients, I mean, my, see, the way I did an interview is I just sold the work. There's that scene yeah. in the movie with the drawings on the desk. An interview for me, in the first minute, I had the drawings out. Yeah. Laying on the desk, pictures of jobs, my brochure, and I've got some of my drawings right here. I just, what I learned to do is to just sell the work. There's some of my drawings and I would just um, put those on the desk. And oh, I had a, some trade magazine articles, things like that. Just lay the work out. Yeah. That's well, you've always been a, you've always been a big fan of having a, a portfolio and now having Absolutely. a virtual. And otherwise you, you, you sell your work. But unfortunately there's been some really bad cases of discrimination. Military don't disclose. Okay. And there's a lot of people in the military that I know are on the spectrum. I have talked to them. They've come to autism conferences. Well, then let me ask you this, because my son is getting ready. He's uh, doing his college applications starting right now. 
um, do you recommend that students uh, disclose as they're applying to higher education? I think it education? kind of depends upon what kind of accommodations they need. But five years ago, we had another case where a guy was going to get his pilot's license and he made the mistake of disclosing to the FFA the, uh, uh, physician for his physical and he was did not get a pilot's license. Yeah. And I don't, uh, that's wrong, but that I'm just telling you stuff that's happened that where people have reported right to me. That was five years ago. Wow. And, and uh, if you're on the mile, I, you know, for me, I learned what kind of things I need to do my job successfully. Like when I'm doing a team uh, writing, we're doing some animal welfare guidelines. I like, I just say to them, I like homework. I'll do this part of the document, this format, get it done on this date. In other That's words, well-defined what my bid is and then right. do my bit and don't criticize the others. Though I have been known to correct technical errors and not use any word changes things. And there were technical errors. There are some things, animal welfare guidelines, where it's a matter of opinion, but these were just technical errors. It was just wrong. So I just corrected. I'll bet and you're a dream to work with. That's why I'll I bet it's But it's, um, um, this was really disheartening, this guy that I just talked to. Uh, technical type of job he had. Very good. Five years he'd been there. Wow. And and uh, the boss just told the other guys to shun him. Wow! And this just happened. And I'm, and did uh, get him a lawyer. I, that sounds I like went, I told him to walk away. This yeah. guy doesn't need to disclose. Yeah. And and the thing is, you can disclose some particular thing you need. Like I'm terrible at multitasking. Right. I need a pilot's okay. checklist. I like well defined what my job role is. Grace. See that stuff. Right. That's disclosing some specific need you need, but not a diagnosis. Well, it's it's uh, disheartening. No, it's terrible, but that just uh, happened. And but it is terrible. It, uh, and I I think everybody appreciates your your candor and your. I'm honesty. just telling. They come to me. Yeah. They come yeah. to me. I don't go hunting for these things. They come up to right. me. Exactly. I'm going to move on to this other question because uh, I'm interested to hear what your answer is. What is your greatest advice to help grandparents who are overly critical and hard to believe what parents tell them? I'm a consultant and this is one of my first questions and what do you recommend to them? We have a lot well, of grandparents. grandparents. Well, I got to find out what the grandparents are critical of. See, one of the things on a lot of things, I don't get enough detail. Teachers will say, well, how do I work with autistic kids in the classroom? I don't even know what the age is. What is yeah. the problem? Okay, some of the common problems, sensory issues, multitasking. One of the things that the problem with a lot of learning differences is you got a small processor. So I can tell you. Up and Go ahead. I, but I can tell you, uh, Dr. Grannon, that for a lot of what, because I get a lot of these comments from parents, that the grandparents doubt the diagnosis and they say, that child doesn't have autism. You just need to parent them better. They need to have their butt paddled when they do something wrong. And they feel like there aren't enough consequences that are negative well, for the, the kids. Thing is, so, you know, like like, for me, there were very clear rules. Tantrums at school were no um, TV for one night. That was very clear. Then another one that I talked to was a guy, computer programmer, making a ton of money, doing a little bit of fraud stuff with money. Mm. And is autism an excuse for that? No, it's not. I was brought up with very strict, um, uh, you know, like you don't cheat at games. That was taught to me at a very young age. I didn't see grownups behaving bad on TV. I didn't see grownups sitting around the tax forms laughing about 
cheating and stuff. I was never, ever exposed to that. Mm-hmm. But since it's rule-based, you get someone that this, he was going to play the autism card that he could get out of some serious financial fraud he'd done because he's autistic. No. So for parents, for, for grandparents who, let's say that the child is diagnosed and the grandparent says, I just don't think they have autism. All right. First of all, I want to find out, I want to be more specific. What behavior do the grandparents object to? Let's get more specific. What is the behavior? And then how can we deal with the behavior? Well, I can think of one instance recently where I I consulted with a family and the little boy who was like six or seven years old, he just wasn't very compliant. So so for instance, um, you know, grandma would say to him, he would say to grandma, I'm going to have a snack right now. And grandma would say, no, it's not time for a snack. And the child would say, I'm going to go make the snack. And he would start to go well, make well, the, the grandmother snack. needs to say, first of all, I want to get rid of saying no. What you want to say, instead of saying no, we have our snacks at three o'clock. Give ah. the instruction instead of saying no. There you go. So yeah, don't even get the old fashioned 50s parenting. That's what I had. So don't even get into the conversation about autism you know, and trying to prove like deal with the behavior and you're going to you go. say, our family has our snacks at three o'clock. Give the instruction. That's what we do in our family. We'll have a snack in the mid afternoon or a snack in the mid morning and you know, whatever it is, but get it on a schedule and you just give the instruction. So let's just look at the behavior they're dealing with. Now you sometimes will have kids where they'll have a meltdown due to, due to sensory sensitivity. Mm-hmm. And, but, but the, and then that one of the ways to handle that is the noisy thing the kid hates. It could be the, I saw a kid just the other day, a little electric battery operated leaf blower. That'd be something a lot of uh, kids with autism would hate. There's a little battery operated one. So it would have been safe for them to use. And you let them turn it on and off or the vacuum cleaner or the hairdryer, whatever the noisy thing is, let the kid control it. I like that. And I looked at this little leaf blower and I'm going, oh, you're going to let, it, it was battery operated, so it was safe. Yeah. And, and, uh, and the kid can turn it on and off and control it. So they can t- take as much as they want to take. And well, then that's turn right. It that's really important. And that can sometimes help with, you know, specific noisy things. There was one boy that was terrified of the scoreboard buzzer in the gym and they took him down to the gym and they let him press the button and he started making tunes on it. Oh, now that's something you see, but the thing is, I want to find out what behavior granny doesn't like and then try to deal with it. Yeah. Well, I think that that's, that's wonderful. Uh, okay. So I'm going to move on to this next question, autism and ADHD. I find it incredibly difficult to address the autism in a child when the ADHD makes focusing so very difficult for them to respond to behavior therapies. Any suggestions? All right. Well, first of all, ADHD and autism on the social front overlap 30%, both in genetics and in brain scans, especially one on social stuff. Okay. So let's just look at the task. You see, I have to get very specific so I can visualize. All right. What is it? What are they trying to teach you? What, what are they trying to teach you? How old is the kid? And I don't know for this. Yeah, I gotta have kid, more information. Yeah, but so let's take visualize yeah. something we could do. So let's let's say that it's a seven-year-old because a lot of parents are having a problem right now with the distance learning because of the ADHD sort of behaviors where some of these like, kids are gonna have to have some breaks. Yeah. They're just going to, and you, maybe if the class is synchronous, maybe you're gonna have to record it yourself 
Uh, they're gonna have to have some breaks. The other thing is a lot of these kids aren't getting enough exercise. Mother used to say, go outside and run the energy out of you. And they've got to get more exercise and some of them are gonna need breaks. That's what you gotta do. And I love that, uh, you know, we've been talking a lot about, you've said before that you need a burst of activity um, and that that helps you to regulate yourselves. And I've been saying that over and over and over again, because I, I, I've noticed that with all of us with COVID, um, we had to buy a treadmill in our house. Um, we bought a treadmill and we stuck it in the middle of the living, living room because I think we were all having a hard time. We just weren't, I didn't really, I'm not a big exercise person, but during a normal day. do it. And I think yeah. you're better off to set the treadmill kind of steep and kind of hard and do a burst of exercise, but you've got to work up to this. I don't want anybody having a heart yes. attack here. Oh, no, no, no. I worked, no, no, no. it took me six months to get up to a hundred sit-ups. hundred sit-ups. All right. I'm going to work on that. And, um, you know, and if you set the machine stiff, so it's hard to do it, and maybe I'm yeah. quite a bit of a slant, uh, you're going to work up to doing 10 minutes of hard exercise. But I do a very little hard burst, which really makes you sweat makes you strain, but you have to work up to it. I don't want somebody keeling over doing this. Yeah, no, 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 no. But I think it, what I noticed for all three of us in our household is that once we started doing the treadmill, everything else became a little bit easier. That's and right. I, because you could regulate a little bit easier. And you put the treadmill in the middle of the living room, so you're going to have to, everybody has to exactly. use it. And we, we watch, sometimes TV is on while we're doing That's it. That's fine. So that, you know, but um, but yes, that's what we have done. And I know other families that have said, okay, we're not having a lawn, we're putting a trampoline in. Or, you know, or, but everybody has to find something that they can do physical. And I think it's just so important, as you said, for our kiddos that are spending so much time, screen time now. Well, they've got to get exercise and see, and now treadmill is a machine that everybody can use. Mm -hmm. And and you put in the middle of the living room and then you know whether everybody is used it enough. That's right. We're keeping there. And, and I am very, very proud to say, we st I think we started at five minutes, Temple, and, and we're up to 17 minutes now. Yeah. A and day. And that, prob you know, that probably is enough. I mean, there's a point where you don't have to overdo it. But, you know, if you did that hard every day, um, and because then you probably, because I find that the burst of exercise worked better than all you know, the airport walking that I did. Yeah. Because that didn't make airport walking I used to do. I haven't been in an airport since March 12th. Right. right. Uh, but the airport walking didn't make me sweat and huff and puff and sweat. And and I actually added up um, how far I walked in the Denver airport. And it was a long ways, but that just didn't do it. I do walking now for back pain. Oh, there you go. But I need that burst of hard exercise for the other things. And we got you got to get the kids doing this. I think yeah. that treadmill in the middle of the living room is a real good idea. There you go. I'm then glad you, you know everybody it. using it. We didn't, uh, we were going to take it upstairs, but it came and it was too heavy. We couldn't, we couldn't carry it upstairs, Temple. So we, it's sitting in the living room, but it, it's not gathering dust. Let me tell you. Well, good. Uh, so I use a clothes rack. That, no, no clothes on that. Oh, it's used good. every single day. Okay, new question. Temple, how do we know what kind of thinkers our kids are? I have three children all in the spectrum. My oldest is 10. He does not like drawing or writing, loves video games, doesn't like math or reading, loves science projects. My middle son is almost five and he loves both puzzles and building things and working on things, even video games. 
also likes to color to draw. Then my daughter, who is almost four, she loves to color and write and loves sensory play such as Play-Doh and several types of slime. All right, first of all, in the real little kids, it's gonna be difficult to tell. It didn't okay. show up uh, with me until I was like second, third grade, seven or eight years old. And that's when my ability in art showed up. Or you'll get a kid that's ability in math will show up. And then you need to give them harder math. If you think you've got a math kit, introduce computer programming. And then show them really cool stuff, like the touch screens on the Dragon spacecraft that just went up to the space station, SpaceX. Those run on JavaScript, the same program that you that, that's for a Minecraft. Uh, writing kids often love facts. They like history and facts. And, and um, these, these things, if kids get exposed to enough stuff, then you'll see it. I'm seeing kids that are really good with Legos and nobody thought to introduce tools. Mm. And if they're good at Legos, you need to introduce tools by second and third grade and learn how to use a screwdriver and hammer, pliers. These are things I was using as a really young child. Um, you know, then maybe a little later, a small electric cordless battery operated drill um, and handsaw, all hand tools, of course, and except maybe the electric drill. And you one of the one of the most favorite things I ever got, and you teach them how to use them safely, and and because there's a lot of visual thinkers like me, where skilled trades a perfect place for us to go. I guarantee you it's essential work. We'll have jobs forever. We will have jobs forever. And the math kids, uh, some of the way they're teaching math now is really weird. Uh, you want to find out you have a math kid, get some old-fashioned algebra books and geometry books, and let the kid have them and see what he does with them. You see, they can't show the skill if they're not exposed. Very good. That, what that's I, the thing. Somebody gave me a million years ago, they gave me a lady toolkit. And in it was a crank drill. Oh, yes. And I, to, the, to this day, I use that thing. I have a cordless drill that's, you know, a bad, but then I got to charge it. And I don't, I, you know, I can never find. Well, a find crank it. drill looks like an egg beater. Egg oh, beater drill. Yeah. And I use it still all the time because if I just need to drill a little hole, like, and I and I always think about what a great thing for a, a mechanical kid before the cordless. But those drill. are the kind of things that when I was a little, fairly little kid, I think fourth grade, I was using one of those cranker, you know, egg beater drill. Yeah, but I love it. These are things that that um, I'm, but if kids aren't exposed to tools, how are they going to find out whether they love them or hate them? Yeah. And well, and if you don't expose a kid to art stuff. And then you've got, or math kids, usually they just take right off of the math, but some of this math, the way they're teaching it, I looked it up online. I looked up first, second, third grade common core math. I'm going, you gotta be joking. Let's just get some old fashioned math. Then you, and then go up in the attic and find the old geometry books and the old algebra books. And if you've got a math kid, they'll take off. You'll either be an algebra kid or a geometry kid. And I am definitely not, was not the math kid. Algebra, I've never passed an algebra class. I managed to get out of it. But what you need for a skilled trade is the old fashioned, I'm gonna say old fashioned up through sixth grade math is what you need for a skilled trade. You don't need any more than that. Things like find the volume of a cylinder, area of a circle, uh, measure a room, uh, some angles for roofs. Yeah, I, I, that sounds like the seventh ring of hell to me because I'm definitely not a math kid. But you've always been a big fan of, because you turned me on to it, Khan Academy. Um, oh, yeah, Khan Academy. There's all kinds of great stuff. Khan Academy, 
then for programming, code.org. Then if you want to turn on the kids that love patterns, you can look up fractals online and you go on to Google images and look up protein symmetry, protein symmetry. You will find patterns that are inside your body that look like cathedral windows. I, I think that one of the most amazing things was when my son learned how to, as he calls, search it up. We'll be talking about something and he'll go, well, let me search it up. And when he learned how to Google things for himself, I couldn't believe the things that he would Google and that he would discover and that he would learn about. It was fascinating. And it well, occurred to I, me that I, I don't know that all kids know how to do that. Well, I'm finding, I have a, a called my internet project in my class and they've got to pick out a question in animal behavior that interests them. Mm -hmm. um, and then they have to look up eight scientific journal articles on four different databases. And what I'm finding in that is for some students it's a really easy assignment about a third of the students don't even know how to do it. And the other thing they don't know how to do is how do you summarize? So I've got eight articles about, um, um, you know, some question, how do bees navigate? Let's say that was the thing we look up. Well, tell me in a half page of single space type, how do bees navigate? After you've read these papers, you ought to know. Yeah. Yeah, how do you I've summarize? Because we got a lot of kids getting through into college now They've never done a book report. Yeah. So they've never learned how do you summarize something? That's true. Uh, it's absolutely true. Something to think about. Uh, okay, Dr. Temple, my son is six years old and on the spectrum. He is good at many things like music. He helps, uh, he plays any instrument, any song once he sees it to play it and reads so well and paints so good with tiny details uh, and loves to play by himself for hours on the iPad. Um, all the time, new stuff while playing. He never responds unless we shout out loud. We got his ears tested, all good. How can I make him listen and respond? I appreciate your help. Well, how much time is he spending on the iPad kind of zoning out? I might want to cut that down. The other thing he needs to learn is to play music that other people want sometimes. Like when I was about his age, I would draw the same horse head over and over again. And mother said, well, let's draw the entire horse draw it stable. In other words, take that thing and broaden it uh, and then get him to play different kinds of music. And then, and then now, of course, churches are shut down with COVID because that's a perfect place to do volunteer jobs or do little music gigs at parties, which is something we can't do now because you, saw, you also want to start teaching work skills and he needs to learn how to, well, sometimes you do music for yourself, but you sometimes also do music for other people. So you got yeah. to play more different stuff. And, and some kids are very musical. Now, this brings up another thing. How do you find out if the kid has music talent? Well, if you don't expose them to instruments, how are you going to find out? Yeah. We loved, uh, before COVID, many years ago, um, here locally in Pasadena, there was an organization that would have a musical petting zoo. And what mm -hmm. that was, each member of their orchestra would come and bring an array of instruments and they had all these cleaning things that were there and a child could go through and say, I want to try the tuba. And they could play the tuba and then they would clean it all down and the next child could play the tuba. But then you could walk over but and play the But that's the kind violin. of stuff that we, we got to get, see kids have got to get exposed to find out a tuba school. Exactly. You're not exposed exactly. to it. Yeah, you, you see that a lot of these things, how do you get kids interested in stuff? If they don't get exposed, 
you know, the thing I have had in some of my slides, I said, well, what happened to Michelangelo today? Sixth grade dropout. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but he was exposed to art because all the churches were commissioning all this art. And then he, he was raised by stonecutters. So he was exposed to the tools, at least some of the tools he would have used. And if he hadn't had that exposure, he wouldn't have done it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's so exposure. So, well, throwing after exposure. And, and um, you know, his father wanted him to, be, you know, do legal documents in Latin. He's going, ugh, I don't want to do that. But every, it, there was a time where every church had these big art projects going on. So little Mikey would go over there and look at the church, at the art projects. And if they hadn't been doing those art projects, he wouldn't have been exposed. No. Uh, okay, somebody wants to know what evaluation tools are best for determining if girls are on the autism spectrum. This is a big controversy right now. The people are saying that the criteria for diagnosing often will leave girls out of getting a diagnosis. Well, girls are kind of, one thing is girls' brains aren't as lateralized as males. In other words, the corpus callosum is bigger. And one thing is known in stroke research that um, uh, they can recover from strokes more easily because the two halves of the brain have got a bigger communication. And, but where girls really get in trouble is abusive relationships. They so much want to, you know, be social. They get in a lot of prob problems with that. Now I would, when I was a little kid, I was nonverbal. So that's obvious. Okay. Cause I was nonverbal to age four. I had obvious autistic symptoms, but you've got other girls where there'd be the type that has no speech delay, socially awkward, and, and the other thing that's concerning me now is I think we're getting too much medical model. You know, how do we help someone be successful? Because I got all these grandparents that come up to me who find out they have autism when the kids get diagnosed. I'm seeing this happen all the time. And granddaddy's got a good job. Part of it is I think social rules are taught much more structured in my generation. Also work skills. That grandparent had a job at age 11, delivering papers or, you know, we need to be teaching the work skills. And, and one of the great things was uh, like church volunteer jobs. You've got to learn how to do a task outside the family on a schedule. That's something you've got to learn how to do. And the kids, it's good with the music. He needs to learn how to do requests. You see, that's learning a work skill. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, I have a 21-year-old son diagnosed moderate to severe when he was two and a half years old. All the perseverative uh, behaviors, circles, talking to himself. We did detox, chelation, play therapy, ABA. He mainstreamed fully in sixth grade, graduated high school with a 3.9, including honors classes, now a junior in college, enjoying getting to be totally online this semester beca um, because he really wants friends, that social connection, but even with getting into the top jazz choir, because he has perfect pitch, uh, rushing and being offered three fraternities, choose one, uh, and even accepted into a music fraternity, still couldn't make any connections. He is totally enjoying his, second, uh, his junior year, remotely living at home. His autism services director said that this is difficult because most kids on the spectrum are happy alone well, it but sounds like he's not. doing pretty good. So what's his problem? The problem is, is that he wants to connect, that he's having troubles connecting and they want to know if you have any thoughts. And, the, and what do you mean by connecting? He wants friends. He wants so to be he's able not to getting any friends because usually when you're in this many different things um, with shared interests, you get some friends who shared interests. 
but but he's not. And she's saying he's in this, he's in the choir, he's in the fraternity. Well, but oftentimes you get friends uh, through those shared interests. Now you've got to, now sometimes uh, one thing I had to learn is I couldn't go on and on and on talking about the same carnival ride over and over again. People get sick of that. So you start to have to make some rules. Okay, why has he not got friends? I have a few more questions I got to ask because when I was his age, I did have friends who shared interests. And a couple of the people I was friends with were probably on the spectrum, but it, it was through shared interest. And he's doing shared interest things. They invited him into a music fraternity. And he might be kind of just going on and on and on talking about his favorite thing to where other people get bored. And someone needs to just coach him that, okay, you talked about the bassoon like for two hours now and just making something up and with an instrument and people getting bored with it. You see, I need more information to find out he's probably doing something like that that just totally turns off the other people. And I wonder if if mom can be a little bit of a sleuth while he's home doing stuff online to see, because even in the Zoom, you can begin to see it's a little well, bit sure. different. Yeah, and then is he just yakking on and on and on? Uh, now, one of the problems I have, and I still have it, is interrupting because I can't get the timing. There's a lot of problems that have to do with slow processor speed. Multitasking, timing, uh, and, and uh, you know, see what he's doing wrong. You see, this is where I might just need some social coaching. Okay, you've talked too long about this musical instrument. Uh, let's get somebody else talking. What is he doing online? I'd watch him. Because uh, usually you. somebody that's doing that many things like that does get some friends. Yeah. And thank you for bringing up the interrupting thing, because a couple of people have written in and said that I've interrupted you several times, and I apologize. It is very hard to time in Zoom, uh, you know, and, and I, so interrupting is also my problem, and they're mad at me that I've interrupted you too many well, times. Well, and I've interrupted people just live because I can't get the timing. This is where the processor speed of my brain, if I was a computer, I'd be an Intel 286. You can look that up and see what that is. But I've got the cloud for memory. But a lot of the problems of things like interrupting, that's processor speed. And I still have a problem with that. So, are, but you said you have the cloud for memory. So does that well, mean you have a cloud would be tons of memory. Computer so, cloud, you, no. so you have a lot of memory? I have a lot of memory, but I've got no working memory. Like if I had any task that involves more than three steps, I have to write them down. I have to make a checklist or I can't remember them. I cannot remember oh. long strings of verbal steps. So what are the things that you have, that you just remember everything from your childhood? What you oh, say you have everything. a lot. I mean, it's like, I don't remember every hotel I've been in. I only remember really weird, really terrible. And I remember generic Hilton Garden Inn, sort of what, what they look like, because they're all the same. Generic <laughs> Fairfield Inn. I, know my I love that. Brands. <laughs> and then I remember this really awful hotel I stayed in that was so trendy, it was stupid. The lobby looked like a construction site. There's snap tie holes showing where they've taken the forms off. I'm going, oh, that's not cool. But the worst thing was the breakfast. They served it in pint ice cream containers. And then they just dumped the slimy poached egg on the top. <laughs> that's horrible. It was horrible. That's horrible. It, was, it was trying to be really trendy. And I go, really? <laughs> Young people are really gonna wanna eat breakfast out of ice cream containers? I don't know about that. <laughs> oh, Temple, I think you have a, a 
a career as uh, a travelogue reporter because uh, I, I would enjoy well, I, hearing... We are never staying here ever again. <laughs> <laughs> so Temple, everybody's talking about this book. It's, a, it's something that's very timely, especially for those of us who have kids that are teenagers or about to be teenagers. Tell our viewers what the new book is. Well, Deborah Moore, a psychologist out in California, came to me with the idea of doing this book. And one of the big things we wanted to talk about is the problem of certain kids on the autism spectrum getting addicted to video games. And I'm seeing some very bad outcomes. You know, like he's 23 years old, he's in the basement playing video games, and he doesn't do anything else. And Deborah Moore put together a great chapter in the Loving Push on video games. We also have some very nice first-person profiles of people on the spectrum being successful in jobs, which is a really, uh, a really, really, uh, a really good positive thing. I can't emphasize enough the importance of kids getting jobs when they're in high school, even volunteer jobs at the church or anything. They've got to learn that discipline and responsibility of having a job. You've got to be there on time. You've got to be reliable. Uh, when I was 15 years old, I was cleaning horse stalls. When I was 13 years old, my mother got me a sewing job. I'm seeing too many smart kids on the spectrum that are not learning how to work. Yeah, and, and I love the idea, Temple. You talk about this a lot, about how we can't just expect them to be ready for a job suddenly, miraculously, when they turn 18, that there's a whole process that we have to do to help them to be ready and that that we used to do this all the time that I certainly I had to do jobs odd jobs around the neighborhood well before I was at an age where I was eligible for a job and you did as well right well when I was 13 mother got me a little sewing job and when I was even younger I washed a few cars it's important to have a slow transition from the world of school to the world of work. I'm seeing too often where a child um, on the spectrum graduates from college, and he has never had a job of any kind of a job. And so if you have a kid in high school, uh, I want to get him out working. He can be in the informal economy when he's young. As soon as he's 14, 16, I want to get a real job just to learn work skills. If you have individuals in college right now, they need to be doing career-relevant summer internships. I, I worked at a research lab. It was an unpaid internship where I, um, I did uh, work on experiments on rats, actually, and mice. And I had to rent a house with another lady, and it was just set up in the neighborhood. They've got to learn working skills, and that ought to happen before they graduate from school. Yeah. Well, I love the idea of internships. And you and I had an opportunity to talk a couple of weeks ago about um, summer camp situations, because I was sharing with you that I'm, I'm having a really hard time finding a summer camp that I think is advantageous for my son, who's really into tech things. And you had some great ideas about making it happen in the neighborhood, and I wondered if you'd share some of that with our viewers. Well, let's just look at things. You know, we have a huge shortage in this country right now of car mechanics and diesel mechanics. Well, maybe some retired mechanic needs to set up a small engine repair class to just do with middle school kids so they can find out engines are cool. You know, a lot of schools are taking out hands-on classes. Now, in Texas, I know that some of the places, they're putting that back in again. But how are students going to find out what they want to do for a career if they're not in school? I get asked all the time, how did I get interested in the cattle industry? Because I was exposed to cattle when I was 15. That's how I got interested in them. Yeah, and, and so I love this idea that if, if we can't find the camp, uh, you were suggesting me make it happen myself. 
you really lit a fire in me and inspired me. And I, I think what a great idea. For, for families, though, and you talk about this, the loving push. This is not about being mean, but about being loving and caring. This is what we do to raise our kids. What do you suggest if a parent is sitting there this summer and they've got a 15-year-old, they're not quite sure how to go about getting their kid an odd job or getting something happening in the neighborhood? What do you suggest? Well, Mother just found the sewing job. She just saw a sign on a lady's house that said, you know, freelance seamstress, and she just went in and offered up my skills. She knew I was good at hand sewing. It was just done in the neighborhood. The internship at the research lab was just done in the neighborhood. It set up to the people that, uh, uh, that, you know, that were there yeah. in the school and with my mother. We, we're here at the show. We're really loving. There's a new show on the Oprah Winfrey Network that's called For Pete's Sake, and it's Holly Robinson, Pete, and her family. She's got a 17-year-old son who's on the spectrum, and in the most recent episode, both she and her husband took their son to businesses that they frequent and said to the business owner, hey, have you got something here for our child? Is there, you know, can you show him what you do here? I just thought that was really proactive of them, that they didn't wait for somebody to approach them. They went to the business. Do you think that's a good well, idea? i told that's the thing to do. I ask parents all the time, what do you know, shopkeepers, you know, especially independent businesses, just do something in the neighborhood. And that sewing job is a perfect example of just setting it up in the neighborhood. Yeah, and it seems, as you said, in high schools anymore, there used to be vocational training, and there isn't uh, anymore. But um, so in, instead of waiting for the schools to bring it back, you had talked to me about the, the all-important lawnmower a couple of weeks ago and how lawnmowers, uh, old lawnmowers are around and even learning how to repair a lawnmower is something that's a great skill for kids. Well, it gets a kid interested in engines. He's going to find out that maybe engines are interested. And that lawnmower could then go on and turn into an auto mechanics class. See, the problem is, is that all of those vocational things have moved to the community college. But that's almost too late. We need to be getting these kids hooked on, on some of these uh, skilled trades and vocational things before they graduate from high school. Absolutely, absolutely. And then I wondered if we could take just a second to talk with you, Dr. Grannon, about inclusion and how you feel about There's a big push right now that a lot of schools have started specific programs that are just for kids with autism where they're putting them someplace else on campus. Likewise, now, what age of kids are you talking about? I'm talking about junior, you know, from kindergarten all the way up through high school. Um, and, I'm, and then there are other schools that are making a big push for inclusion, having everybody in the classroom together. And I, and I was wondering if you had any thoughts about either of those models. Well, sometimes the correct thing to do for a particular kid is something in between. But I'll tell you something I don't want to see. I walk into a brand new autism school and you got four or five very severely handicapped kids in a room and then they're sitting amongst them as a 12-year-old that should definitely not be there, fully verbal, just messing around on a computer. Uh, he needs maybe possibly be, should be in a gifted class. That's what I don't want to see. The autism is turning into such a broad spectrum that I'm seeing too many of the Asperger type of kids held behind when they ought to be working for NASA. I've talked to a lot of people at NASA. I know there's people there that are sort of mildly on the spectrum. Uh, so one kind of geeky kid gets to go work for NASA or Google, and another geeky kid's playing video games in the basement on Social Security, and they're the same geeky kid. Yeah. See, I don't get hung up on the labels. I'm seeing the people. I see them as I talk about them. Yeah. I, I, I got to say, I think that you, you've got such an insight in this area, Dr. Grandin, and 
I, I, I would love to, you know, see some of these programs spring up that can fill this gap in a way that's really affordable for families. I think that an industrious parent know, knows how to get this started, but, um, but there are a lot of parents that probably need some help getting these things started. And if, if well, we just sort of, you know, but one thing I'd say on this, I've worked for 20 years in the construction industry. I would design a project, then I'd supervise its construction. And one thing I learned is how do you get things done? Like if you ran out of parts, we got on the phone and called and called. Now today you get on the internet and search and search, they have found the parts. It, 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 there's an urgency. How do you get it done? Yeah. It's the problem solving that I think is missing. We talk about teaching critical thinking in high schools and junior highs, but if it's not practical and hands-on, I don't, I don't know that the lesson really gets taught. Well, hands-on things, I remember in sewing, and I loved sewing when I, was, when I was in elementary school, and I cut some fabric wrong in a wrecked project. And I learned from that that you, you don't rush. Some other time you might make a mistake, and then you just have to figure out something, some other way to do it. When I made bird kites that I flew behind my tripe when I was really little, I experimented and experimented and experimented with these bird kites. Uh, Hands-on things teach practical problem solving. And I think a lot of people today don't know how to do practical problem solving because they haven't done any hands-on things. Yeah, no, it's true. And, we, and, we, and a lot of times, I, I love that the book talks about how we're going to have to push our kids because I think a lot of people, myself included, I have coddled my kid. You pointed that out to me this fall. Uh, we, we went to lunch together, and you, I, I was not letting my son use the restroom by himself, and you took, you went up one side of me and down the other, and he's very grateful to you, Dr. Grandin. Uh, and you know what? He just got right up and he used it. He did, and uh, whenever I'm being too much of a smother now, he threatens to call you because um, he knows that you're on his side, and that's good. You know, I think parents need well, that. I knew that at that barbecue restaurant, that restaurant was going to be perfectly safe. Yes. Uh, and he had such a good time with you that day, I have to say. Now, I wonder, as we're, we're getting ready to, to be in April, Autism Awareness Month, and um, a lot of people are going to be talking about autism, and already this week there's been a lot in the news talking about autism, and, and, and there's a, a discussion about what the discussion should be. And I'd like to hear from you, Dr. Grannon, about what do you think the discussion about autism should be right now? Well, I'm very concerned about how broad the spectrum is. And I don't want to see a smart, geeky kid who maybe should work for Google going down the wrong track. You see, the problem is when you just think about it in the language, you get locked into the label. See, one advantage of being a visual thinker is I see a geeky kid at a gifted conference, then I go over to an autism conference, they're the same geeky kid. And then I go to a tech company and I see 10 years older, it's the same kind of geeky kid. I want to see them get into those good jobs. And then you've got another end of the spectrum where they're very severely handicapped. They're not going to work for Google. You see, this is the problem we've got with the autism diagnosis. It's so broad. Yeah. Going from someone who remains with very severe handicaps to somebody that ought to be in a gifted program, but they're socially awkward. This is one of the things that's a real problem. Now, when it comes to early intervention, that's one place where that's really improved. You've got three-year-olds that are not talking. You've got to start working on that kid and working on him right now. Yeah, I, I, I so agree with you about the huge wide spectrum. And I know I promised you that we weren't going to keep you very long. So I, I want to I thank you for being with us. Um, and uh, we're, we're going to close out of the recording, but then I'm going to ask you to stay on the line with me for just one quick second when we're done. 
But thank you so much. And, and just a last question for you, Dr. Grannon. Do you do anything particular in the month of April to commemorate Autism Awareness Month? I've got a ton of, of speaking engagements. Well, and that is such a great service to our community. You always enlighten us. You always lift us up. And um, we thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you very much for having me. I gotta do the U-turn around the, the thing? Okay. So Kelby, do I want the north entry or the south, or does it matter? Okay. Are we doing curbside bag check? Which way, Kelby? Left? Yeah. Kelby, can I go through the T? Yeah, I, I have a toll tag. What do you do that, like, you could just have spend two hours doing and have it suck all your time? Oh, I like to look up research, interesting research articles on animal behavior. <coughs> Found a really interesting, really interesting uh, European papers on how wolves are different than dogs that I read last week that were very, very interesting. Very cool. Because I've always talked about a brain can be more social, emotional, or a brain can be more cognitive. Yeah. And the wolf turns out to be more cognitive. And we've bred the dog to be more social emotional. How fascinating is that? Very, very interesting. The wolves were very good at watching another wolf solve a problem. We were talking a little bit about television before, and I cannot believe that what you said to me, what, what, what you like to watch on television. Star Trek. I was a Star Trek fan when I was a teenager. I liked the Star Trek Next Generation. I was watching that when I was working on my PhD in the 80s. And so what... Total Star Trek fan. What's your favorite series, and what's your favorite character, and what's your favorite oh, Mr. episode? Oh, Mr. Spock was my favorite character. Love it. And uh, what's favorite episode? This oh, guy is going to hate see. A lot of good. My favorite Star Trek movie was the one with the whales. Yes. Yeah, I really like that Star Trek movie. And so sad that we lost Leonard Nimoy this year. Yeah. So you, I didn't know that you like to watch television. Do you like to go to the movies too? Oh yeah. So I went and saw Gravity. There's certain movies that have to be seen in a theater, like yeah. Gravity and Avatar. Yeah. I wanted to see Inside Out in the theater. That I really liked that movie. What did you think of that? I liked it. I think it. Uh, think about how all the emotions interact. I gotta be honest, I had said after that that I thought that it was gonna be a great tool for, for people to show kids on the autism spectrum about perspective taking. Yeah. About what it's like in other people's heads. Well, no, it's more like how the emotions inside your own head sort of conflict with each other. Yeah, absolutely. I love the Wizard of Oz, and I love the idea of the Wiz of the Ruby Slippers. She had the way back home, she just didn't know she had it. You see, and I think that's a metaphor for a lot of things. A lot of people have the ruby slippers, but they don't know they have them. They don't know they have the key that can open up the door to a lot of really great stuff. So what would you say was your ruby slipper? Well, I had when some opportunities came up, like when I designed those dip vats, um, that was a major uh, breakthrough for my business. Really? And when the head of the feed yard came up to me and asked me if I'd do it, I said, give me three weeks. You know, a lot of people would have been too scared to walk through the door. Now, this is pre-internet, and I knew it would take me three weeks to get some of the information I needed, especially on concrete reinforcement, to design the dip vats. But you did it. I did it.
I was on the phone the next day to the USDA to get the drawings on the concrete reinforcement. Wow. So I, I want to journey back to childhood for just a second and talk about friends, because a lot of times people ask about friends. Who was your best friend? When I was in elementary school, one of my best friends was a girl named Eleanor. And she was the first girl in elementary school to get the tape wood shop instead of cooking. And I was the second girl in our school to get the tape wood shop. So we like to make stuff. It's all about making stuff. And I had good friends in high school. Even though I got bullied and teased, I got friends who shared interests, riding horses together, doing electronics together, doing model rockets together, doing stuff together with other um, with other students. So you found, like your mom says about, found, you found your tribe. Yeah, and you've got people. to get them in yeah. doing things with other people. And you did a lot of theater, and you, did you sing as a kid? Yeah, I did. I, one of the problems I was singing is I couldn't synchronize my rhythm with somebody else's rhythm. Do you still different. have a hard time doing that? I still have a hard time doing that. Because we were, we were going to ask you if you wanted to sing something in the car with us. Well, I think maybe we'll skip that. <laughs> Question. But the one question people always ask us is they want to know if you've ever been in love. No, never have. And and you don't feel like you're missing anything. I've seen so much turmoil in so many marriages that I haven't really seen a situation that would be a good model. And yet you gave me really good marriage advice. Because I'm a good problem solver. You have to like take the problem and cut it down. And in engineering you have to find the root cause of a problem. What do you think is your secret to your success as a teacher? Well, presenting things really clearly. Yeah. That's really important. Making things interesting. Yeah. I think it's also important that it's something in a class that you know, a student can take home and use. I teach a class in cattle behavior and handling, and I've got a lot of students that are pre-vet that are going to go in the dog and cat, probably won't be handling any cattle. But I said, you want to design this corral system because it's visual problem solving. You have to figure out how to do it. It's not a cookbook. And then I have my internet project where they can pick out anything in animal behavior and I make them dig into a narrow subject that I have to approve because I want them digging into Google Scholar and PubMed Science Direct and the other databases. They gotta learn how to find stuff online and I'm finding about two thirds of the students are not very good at that. How about this, Make Magazine. <laughs> this is the kind of thing that a lot of kids on the spectrum need to be doing, the cool stuff in here. Really Make Magazine is going to love that you Make did magazine. that. Make Magazine. That's a wonderful magazine. And I'm, okay, <laughs> yes, and, and they're resurrecting old satellites from mission control and an abandoned McDonald's. Love That's it. the kind of stuff I really like. These are the kind of magazines we need to get in the school. Make Absolutely. Magazine, Business Week, Science, Nature, Wired. we got to show kids out there. There's all kinds of super interesting yeah. stuff out there. Open but if the they brains. don't see it, then they don't know about it. Yeah, I like nice. to geek out on construction oh, sites. Yeah. I like to salivate over all the equipment <laughs> they've got that we didn't have, like really cool man lifts and you know, nice scaffolding. We didn't have any of that stuff. You didn't. No, we didn't. What did you guys have? Horrid, A compass? Horrid ladders that were really dangerous <laughs> is what we had. We're gonna get your stuff out. Yep. Oh. We have to get the mic back on you too. Oh, you took it off already. You're good. I'm attached to mine.
Dr. Grandin, what is it like for you personally to have become the most celebrated person in the field of autism? Well, I feel it's a responsibility. I get a lot of emails and letters from young kids. In fact, at the last conference I was at, I got a whole envelope of uh, letters from kids in an English class. What makes me pleased is I think I'm inspiring a lot of kids to succeed because I want to see kids succeed. Now, one problem I'm seeing with some of the fully verbal kids is they're not getting stretched enough. I see kids coming up to me at conferences where nobody's taught them how to shake hands. See, when I was a young child, I had to be party host at my mother's parties. I had to shake hands, say please and thank you, have table manners, learn how to shop. And I'm seeing too many situations where they aren't learning those basic skills. Yeah, so you, you really think they need the basic skills that every child should learn. Yes, now in the 50s, every child was taught social skills in a much more structured way. And today that's not the case. Now the so-called normal kids, they pick it up, but the autistic kids have got to be taught. Okay. And that's not being done enough. What kind of preconceptions, though, do you think most people have about relating to those with ASD? Autism is a really big spectrum. You're going all the way from Silicon Valley down to somebody with a lot of intellectual challenges. Now, the kinds of services and things a person needs are very different, those two ends of the spectrum. And I go to different places. I go to Silicon Valley, and I see a lot of people that I know are on the spectrum. And then I go see another kid that's smart at math, but nothing's being done to develop his skills and he's getting addicted to video games. And they are the same kind of kid. The thing that I'm seeing, especially on the mild end of the spectrum, is too many kids sort of becoming the label. I'm very concerned about them getting a handicap mentality. Then I go over to the meatpacking plant, and there's a whole maintenance shop of old hippies that I know are on the spectrum, and they run that maintenance shop. And they've been there for years and years and years. Why do you think the numbers, 1 in 68 now, have risen so dramatically? I think on the mild end of the spectrum, it's increased detection. Because I can think of kids I went to elementary school with, kids I went to college with, that today would be diagnosed on the spectrum. I think that's a big part of it on the mild end of the spectrum. Now, I think there also is some severe autism that may have actually increased because there's more environmental contaminants and there's more medications uh, being given uh, during early pregnancy. Dr. Grandin, you beg parents not to let their children with autism be defined by the DSM or the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Why? Well, I think the DSM made a big mistake removing Asperger's syndrome because under the DMS-4, autism you had to have speech delay, Asperger was no speech delay. Now, you could argue scientific reasons for taking out the speech delay stuff, but from a service provider standpoint, you know, the kind of services that somebody's nonverbal as is different than a mild kid with Asperger's. And I'm seeing too many fully verbal kids, less severe than me, getting put into a class with uh, nonverbal kids. I'm seeing too many smart kids uh, not learning job skills. That's another thing that I really push. Because when I was 13, my mother had got me in a sewing job. When I was 15, I was cleaning horse stalls. Uh, it's really important that students intern in a job before they graduate from high school. They've got to learn that discipline of um, getting to work. If you could speak to every business owner in America, what would you say to convince them to hire somebody on the autism spectrum? Well, there are certain things they can do extremely well. In fact, the SAP Corporation is hiring people with autism. There's another um, project, Project Search, where they, um, there's work being done with collaborating with hospitals to train them to set up surgical in instruments for different types of surgery. 
and they take longer to train, but once they're trained, they're super, super good and meticulous about making sure the instruments are set up right. And that's got about a 78% done uh, employment rate. So you think the skills that those with ASD have to offer are often overlooked by people well, that I employ? Well, as I said before, I can think of kids that I went to college with that definitely were on the autism spectrum. Those individuals are all employed in good jobs. And I think a lot of this gets back pounding those manners in, in the 50s and the 60s and kids being on things like paper routes where they learned work skills. Why do you think the experts in the field of ASDs focus so intensely on the deficits and not on the strengths of Well, autism? we need to be building up strengths. My ability in art was always encouraged. And I was encouraged to do lots of different kinds of art. If you've got a third grader that's good at math and he can do a high school math book, let him do the high school math book. Don't hold them back. I want to know why you think that so little attention has been paid to the sensory processing issues. What can we learn from those? Well, I just heard about a brand new study that's been done up at the uh, in California, Dr. Wu, and they took um, children age 4 through 12 that had speech delay, and they stayed in their regular programs, ABA or whatever the speech therapy the school was doing, and then they got an hour a day of sensory therapy where they did a lot of variety of stimulation, like walk on different kinds of flooring, smell different smells, do different activities in a mirror, big variety, always doing more than one sensory thing at a time, and it was done as a controlled experiment, where half the kids just got the regular treatment and the other half got this added sensory treatment. And they got some really big, significant improvements. And they made the point of using all very inexpensive things that would be in any house. There's so much division in the autism community. How do you think we can all come together and well, find a common ground? I think that merging Asperger's together with autism has made all of this worse. Because you have a segment of very, very severely handicapped kids where they're never going to be able to live independently. That's a very different kind of situation than a mild Asperger's type of kid. You see, you're, you're, you're putting too many apples and oranges together. Every other diagnosis, like dyslexia, learning problems, ADHD, you've got a fully verbal kid. Only in autism, right now, are you getting a range going from, you know, smart computer geek down to somebody that has very, very severe challenges. Now, I think the American Psychiatric Association originally figured the Asperger kids would get into this social communication category. That's not what's happening. Nobody's going into that because there's no funding for it. As the most admired person in this field, and we are literally becoming an autism nation, what do you think the most important thing is for us to be aware of? Well, there's a point where personality variants are just normal variation. I think a brain can be made more cognitive and thinking, or a brain can be made more social. Now, at what point does that become abnormal? There's no black and white dividing line. I'm getting concerned that what we're saying is abnormal is, is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Obviously, a child that has severe speech delay, that's an abnormality. But when you take the kids that are just kind of socially awkward, a lot of those kids are really smart. And then you've got the person that's a total social butterfly. And let's think back to the caveman days. I don't think the social yak yaks around the campfire made the first stone spear. <laughs> Dr. Grandin, thank you for inspiring all of us as parents and children.